This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello and welcome back to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. We hope you're all faring as well as you can amid the current pandemic that we are experiencing. We want to make today's episode relevant and helpful for everyone experiencing this pandemic, which is everyone in the world. So we have a very special guest joining us today. I'll let Molly introduce her. So our special guest today is Lily Leanhart. She is one of my best friends from growing up. So she's in Naples, Florida right now. Um, So we're doing a three-way call, all three of us across the country. Um, So very special guest. And the reason we decided to have Lily on today was actually kind of Lily's idea. She came to me with a couple questions about like, how do we kind of treat people in this um, day and age with COVID-19 because she is a physician's assistant. So she currently works in the emergency room. One of her jobs is working in the emergency room in um, Florida. And so I thought it'd be a great idea to have her on and just talk about her being a healthcare worker during COVID-19 and how we can make communication easy on everybody during this very hectic, anxious time. Um, So so yeah, welcome Welcome, Molly. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. This is so much fun. Um, I listen and um, this has been a great way to help me communicate with all my patients and um, figuring out how to talk to them in the best manner and way possible because everybody's different and doesn't communicate the same. So it's, and also it's everyone's emotions are super heightened. So like this is very different. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge so far helping your patients cope with what's going on and what struggles have you faced communicating with them? Um, so I would have to say like the biggest struggle that, you know, everyone's facing worldwide, not just, not just our hospital is, you know, we're having a shortage of tests and we're having a shortage of equipment and PPE, which is the personal protective equipment, you know, so the masks, the goggles, the gowns, everything that we use to protect ourselves from transmitting the virus to, you know, not only ourselves and our family, but everybody else around in the hospital. Um, so that's been the biggest, you know, pitfall right now, you know, I think we're doing a good job about, you know, managing our patients right now. But if we get more volume, it's, um, you know, as this disease spreads, it's only going to become more difficult. Um, And so because we don't have a whole lot of resources, that means the people who come in, we have to sort of triage to see who gets what. So, you know, it's been difficult treating, um, or I guess, explaining to people, you know, Yes, I think that, you know, we probably should test you for COVID-19 or yes, we should probably do this. Um, But unfortunately, we don't have the resources. So it's been difficult for us to turn people away, you know, that are relatively healthy and um, people don't understand and they want to be tested. uh, So they get very frustrated. And so that's been sort of my biggest challenge is um, communicating effectively how to tell people, no, we don't have this for you and we can't do anything for you right now. Yeah, that just reminds me a lot of like perspective taking on the patient's end though. Like I'm sure everyone is so caught up in their own lives right now and like coming in, they're probably like, why don't I get to be tested? And then perspective taking more to be like, there's a bigger picture stuff. We don't have the resources. There are like higher demand cases and that's probably really hard to communicate. 
Yeah, and it's kind of a don't shoot the messenger type scenario because it's not your fault, Lily, or your responsibility to have these resources that you're just doing it the best that you can in your position, but you're the person that the patient sees. So I'd imagine it's very easy to take for them to take it out on you. And we're all guilty of that. You know, if something doesn't go well at the restaurant, we blame the waiter, but there are so many other people involved. Right. And something I struggle with is is feelings of anger and frustration towards these patients rather than I should feel empathetic and understand that they're only coming at me with these these um, reactions because they're anxious and they're nervous and maybe they have a baby at home or maybe their wife is pregnant or their mother that lives in the house with them, you know, it has cancer. And so they're nervous about getting it. So yes, I see them and they have, you know, just a little cold, you know, they've got the sniffles, they've got a little bit of a cough, they don't really have a fever, their vital signs are all stable. Um, And from my standpoint, like, that's the type of person who doesn't need me in the emergency department. They just need some reassurance to go home, self-isolate, get well by taking, you know, over-the-counter medications and um, explain to them why they don't need the test. And so it's been difficult for me to be more proactive before I go in the room um, to be empathetic with them rather than very reactive and getting angry at them and frustrated. So it's sort of this inner battle that I've been dealing with. Um, as I'm sure most of the people in healthcare have been sort of feeling the same stress. So what do you, because I feel like this situation is so unique because of the long incubation period where people are generally asymptomatic. So I imagine that's why everyone's running to try to get the test. I called to try to get a test before seeing my mom who has chronic lung issues because I was scared. Like, what if I have it and I don't know? And of course they turned me away because I had zero symptoms, but I just, and I don't really have a solution. I'm just making the point that perhaps that's why so many people are coming to you. And I feel like that's a really tough spot for you to be in to tell people you don't have symptoms, so I can't treat you because we're all being told that we might have it even if we don't have symptoms. Right, exactly. So, you know, in a perfect world, you know, we would test everyone, even the asymptomatic people, um, and we would repeatedly test them just from an epidemiological standpoint. Um, But Unfortunately, you know, resources are limited. We don't have enough of the the actual swabs. Um, The swabs that we use in the hospital are the same ones that we swab for influenza and respiratory pathogen panel, which tests for other viruses such as like rhinovirus, um, coronavirus that is not COVID-19. There's another couple other ones um, that are on that, um, that are on that panel. So, you know, some things that we would typically do for all patients, we're having to sort of adapt to different practices and such being more of a sumptive care than, um, than actually having a confirmative, confirmatory test right now because we don't, unfortunately, have the resources. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm even thinking of, like, just all that behind-the-scenes stuff, like, makes you so probably dysregulated already emotionally so then dealing with the patients right afterwards is probably even more hard because like I'm sure like behind the scenes is is it more hectic is it more stressful or is it pretty much the same as it usually um, is you know our day-to-day has 
been different. Um, you know, the hospitals are limiting the who can come in as far as visitors. So our hospital and most hospitals have now shut down all visitors. So if you're, you know, somebody coming in with their husband or their wife, like, unfortunately, you as a visitor are not allowed to come in because we're just trying to limit the amount of exposure. The only time a guest is allowed to come in at this point is for end of life care. Um, if someone who is not a great historian, like if they have dementia or or have special needs um, or um, one parent per child, um, I think that you're allowed to have a supportive partner for birthing, but just one. Gosh, wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's difficult. We're sort of adapting. Like I said, we're adapting to different circumstances. Um, you know, it's just different. Uh, I think a lot of people are abiding by the social distancing and are staying away, uh, especially because I live in such an an area with such a high elderly population. I think a lot of them are, are staying away and staying out of the hospital for things that don't necessarily need to come to the hospital. I think that they're utilizing other modes of medical treatment um, which I love. I think that that's great. Uh, but we still are having a lot of those people who, you know, I just want to get checked out. I just I had the sniffles this morning. I just decided to come in and get checked out. So we are still having a lot of that on top of all of the other things that come in with, you know, lacerations and heart attacks and strokes and, you know, abdominal emergencies and things like that. So it's, it's just different. Oh my gosh. So what do you think that we can do as non-medical professionals can do to help you all and make communication easier? Let's say if we are in a situation where we want to get tested or we need to go to the hospital for some other reason, how do we, how can we help you? So I think the first thing that I would ask everybody to ask themselves is, is this an emergency or is this not an emergency? You know, obviously if it's an emergency, please come in. We want to see you. We want to treat you. Um, but you know, if you're like, ah, you know, this is not an emergency, but I just don't know where else to go. Give us a call. We'll help direct you. You know, our local community has a COVID-19 hotline. You know, there's all kinds of different resources in your community that you can communicate with people and kind of get them to guide you on where to go. Uh, I know a lot of insurances provide telemedicine, which is sort of, you know, FaceTime video chat type of scenario. Um, and those are going to be the, the biggest resources that I hope that we expand on in the future because that's our saving grace right now. Um, you know, phone calls and, and video chats and things like that. Um, but there's some other resources other than you can go to urgent care, you can call your primary care, um, anything to keep you out of the emergency department because the emergency department is going to be the worst place for you. And if you just want to know, don't go to the place that is going to contaminate you. you. You would have been fine. Then you came to the ER and maybe you got exposed there. You know, I'm sure that you've seen all of the, um, I'm sure you've seen all of the pictures going around on Facebook that says, uh, stay home so I can, so I can come to work or I came to work so you could stay home. Um, so that's going to be the biggest, um, take home is just stay home, stay well, social distancing, so. Yeah, I actually haven't seen any of those images, so I'm glad that you brought it up because that's a really good point is you're just trying to do your job, and if you are if you get infected, you won't be able to do your job, and that's 
worse for everyone. Right. Okay, so I'm trying to think, like, I remember you mentioned something about how it's hard for you to come into the patient's room and, like, taking that time beforehand to, like, prep yourself mentally. Tell us more about, like, what that looks like and how it ends up going typically when you do interact with a patient one-on-one. Uh, so typically when a patient comes in, you know, and they come in and they sort of get this split triage. So if you have respiratory symptoms, you're going to one side of the ER and if you have something else and you go to the other. So we're trying to keep people separated that way. So they'll come in, get triaged, get their vitals taken. Um, and then it'll pop up on the board, you know, what their chief complaint is. So, you know, if they have some sort of respiratory symptoms, then we're gowning up in full personal protective equipment. So that means uh, N95 masks, goggles, gloves, gowns, the whole nine yards to go in there and talk to these people. Um, all the meanwhile, the patient usually has a mask on. This providing that we have enough PPE. Right now we're good. Um, but, you know, things change. Um, so, you know, before you go in there, I try to I try to sort of take a deep breath and you know not be amped up and and you know on the defensive to begin with because I already know that this person wants a test and I already know that they don't meet the criteria and um, so it, I just try to take a deep breath before I go in there, listen to what they have to say, try to figure out why is it that this person is here, why do they think that they need a test, and then go from there. Um, and when I feel myself getting frustrated, uh, I try to communicate with them like, you know, what can I do for you? Because what you want, I can't give you. Um, and sometimes that works easier than other times. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's two very heightened people at that point. Right. Like they're super stressed and then you're super stressed. So it, I think of it as like just a rising graph of like everybody's super high at the top emotionally so it's hard probably to get anything done have have you dealt with any confirmed positive cases um and so far none of mine have been positive we've had a, a few that have been positive but they were not my particular patients I had one that I thought for sure was going to be positive based on travel um but hers actually came out negative so I'm, I'm thankful for that that I haven't had anybody that has been actually truly positive yeah and that you had to one-on-one interact with so that's good exactly yeah I'm just curious because I know that then the emotions of delivering the news is also going to be that's going to be tricky well that's the other part is this test the one that we have you know the turnaround rate is seven to eight days right now oh boy so I mean I know they're they're developing um, more tests they're that are more rapid. I know there's one that's going to be coming out that's like 45 minutes. Um, but that's the other part of this. You know, you come in and you want to be tested and what am I going to tell you? I'm going to tell you to go home and take, you know, some Tylenol, some Motrin, eat well, rest, quarantine yourself. And, um, we'll let you know in about 10 days, (laughs) whether or not you're positive (laughs) by then, you know, it's too little or too late. As far as mm-hmm. so, then they do get the test, and they're still frustrated because they don't get their answers right, right and away. I think a lot of people want to know: Am I positive? Am I okay to go see my mother who has diabetes? And the answer is probably not. Try you know, practice social distancing, stay away from people as much as possible, um, wash your hands, and only interact with them if you absolutely necessarily need to. Mm-hmm. I heard someone give the advice that everyone at this point should just behave as if they have it, 
Would you agree with that? I mean, that's going to be the best and most safe practice. Um, I kind of just wish we would just shut the whole thing down for two weeks and, and see how that works out. Me too. This is gonna yeah. be this is gonna be a um a long, long few weeks, couple of months. It's gonna take us a long time to recover from this. I feel like if everything could just shut down for a few weeks or even a month at one hundred percent, that's so much better than being half shut down for a year or eighteen months like people are predicting. Yeah. Personally. So anyone listening, yeah. try to stay in as much as you possibly can because it's the other thing that I feel strongly about. So just while we're on this subject, going to say it's not just about you. And I, I think more and more people are realizing that now, but especially for younger people who think that they're immune to this disease, it's not about them. It's about how you can be passing it on to other people. Do you have any thoughts on how to help people who aren't necessarily realizing the effects of their behavior and how we can motivate people to stay home in this time when it feels very difficult to do that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like you said, you know, you can be symptom asymptomatic, but have the virus and not really have symptoms yet. Um, you could have it. We're not really sure how long it stays in your system. We're thinking about 14 days. Um, so you could have had it and then we don't really know if the viral shedding is still happening. This virus can live on surfaces for up to like three or four days, depending on the surface. Um, so that's kind of scary. You know, you have somebody who comes in and, or, you know, have a friend come over who, you know, maybe they're feeling okay. Um, and then two or three days later, they start having a whole lot of symptoms, but they were at your house. They touched your doorknob. They touched your TV remote. They touched your bathroom switches, you know, so we have to be cognizant of, um, of each other. Um, because although you and I are healthy individuals, you know, it probably won't affect us that much, but you know, maybe you have somebody in your house, like I said, that is pregnant or you have a baby or you have an immunocompromised individual. So it's not just protecting you, it's protecting everybody. And, you know, if you, like I said, these people that come in just wanting these tests, just to know, um, you may be taking away, a test from somebody who needs it, or you may be potentially exposing someone who can't fight off this disease. So you have to be respectful for that. And at the end of the day, the best thing to do is to just stay home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've actually heard more lately too on the effects on young people. So for the young people who think, oh, I'm not going to get it. There was a man who was 34 who just passed away in California and AI, people are still getting hospitalized. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but even at younger ages, you still have to go to ICU sometimes. Yeah, and even scarier is uh, it looks like a lot of the healthcare workers are getting hit harder. So people in healthcare are getting sick, more sick than an an average 30 or 40-year-old, which to me is terrifying. Why do you think that is? Uh, They don't really know yet. I think that it probably has something to do with um, the duration and constant exposure. Um, so mm. personally, that makes it even more scary for me. Or lack of sleep. I imagine you're yeah. all kind of stressed Stress. right now and super anxious, and that's not good. Yeah. And that brings down your immunity too, yeah. right? Like your immune system gets affected by your stress. So how do you think we as – say I do come in and I have a, a um, not confirmed suspicion, but like I really do think I have, you know – 
COVID-19 and I come and I'm doing all that kind of stuff you've talked about before and I do need to see you as a physician's assistant. How can I interact with you best in that one-on-one situation? Like, how would I make you as a healthcare worker feel most comfortable in that? Uh, I think just by listening to the rules, you know, if we give you a mask, wear the mask, wear the mask properly, Um, try not to touch things, be respectful. I mean, you wouldn't want somebody coming into your work and berating you. Um, So, you know, we're human beings too. We want to communicate and we want you to just be a kind person, um, you know, if you don't agree with something, that's fine. We'll have a conversation about it. Um, but don't just think that you know everything. Um, cause we, you know, we, we want to help you, um, but let us help you. You know, we have the medical degrees, we have the knowledge, um, and you came to us for help. So let us do, let us help you the way we think is best. Yeah, trust your provider because, I mean, obviously I'm sitting here, I've done a lot of research online, but I'm still learning a lot of things from somebody who actually knows something, like, as opposed to the internet, which is a very helpful resource right now. But, like, trust your provider, it sounds like, is a really important thing to do. And, you know, because we're having so many people come into the hospital and it's limited, some other things that people can do is, you know, make sure you're coming in with all of it, everything you need. So, you know, bring, bring your phone and a charger, bring, um, your medication list, bring your list of your chronic medical conditions, because so many times people, Oh, it's in your chart. It's in my chart. Well, a lot of these systems don't communicate. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't understand that in a perfect world, I would love every single system to communicate. So I can see what you did at your cardiologist and your gastroenterologist and your primary care. I can see what's going on because I understand things are difficult. You don't remember all the time. Um, but those are some other things that you can do to help us. You know, and if, if you get in a pickle, I mean, you, 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 there's always 911. So unfortunately, I hope that we don't have to reuse or how any of us have to use that resource. Yeah. I have a different question. So right now I have something medical that I'm going to try and make an appointment about, and then I might chat with you, Lily, after this. But <laughs> um, I'm feeling guilty about wanting to make an appointment at the hospital. Should I feel guilty, like, or not at the hospital, just, like, with my primary care? Should I feel guilty trying to set up an appointment and take their time away from, like, this main big concern going on? No, absolutely not. I don't think you should feel guilty. I think that it's worthy of a phone call. Talk to your doctor and be like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm a little bit concerned about it. I'd like to make an appointment. And, and, the people in the doctor's office know how to triage. So they sometimes can tell you, no, I, I can't help you with this. No, this is the better place for you to go. Um, maybe we can meet in a month or so. Um, so I, I think that for problem visits, it's appropriate. Maybe for some more of these, you know, wellness visits, um, I, I don't know, maybe they're not as necessary, um, but everybody's different. You know, I am not going to sit here and tell you, no, don't go to the doctor because we should, you know, go to the doctor if we need to go to the doctor. And yeah, I think what you're saying though, is just exercise some caution. So even Molly, the fact that you're questioning, is this something that I absolutely need is a good thing. And that's what everyone should start doing is make a phone call first. Don't get upset. <laughs> if you can't go to the doctor, keep in mind, everyone is going through this. Everyone is inconvenienced by this. Everyone is struggling. And so I think that's really important too. And do what you can to, to make your healthcare workers lives easier. And so doing like what Molly will do, which is call and see if it's a necessity. Don't get upset if they tell you it's going to be three months. 
and just trying, I think we all just have to exercise some flexibility and understand that we are where we are and we can all do our part to make it better, but no one asked for this. And so we've just got to deal with it the best way that we can. And even thinking too, like when I call, knowing and and predicting what ex predicting what they might say is going to help my response be calmer. So like when I call, I'm not going to expect them to say, oh yeah, come on in. Like I want to see that up in person or whatever. I'm going to expect them to say, hey, this isn't urgent. I'm going to put you on the appointment books for Thursday or hey, this isn't urgent. Let's just chat over the phone. Like having my expectations realistic so then my response isn't as large if it isn't what I completely like wanted to hear. Yeah. I think that's huge in general through this whole situation because everyone is struggling and even like my dad was talking about his business and he's like, I can't just stop working. We're in the middle of projects. I'm like, yeah, I was in the middle of stuff too. People, everyone (laughs) is in the middle of something. Everyone is going through this and it's actually kind of a beautiful thing. We're all experiencing the same struggle and no, I would choose to find a different route to, (laughs) to build this spirit of community. But at the same time, one major point to consider is the fact that your problems, yes, are important and they're significant, but also keep in mind everyone else you're interacting with, particularly the healthcare providers that are literally risking their lives and their well-being and their health to provide for the rest of us. Yeah, and you don't know what, like, Lily's going home to or any other healthcare provider is going home to either. Like, you have to perspective mm-hmm. take on that, too. And like Trisha said, it's a it's a worldwide thing. Everyone's in this together. It's a big community, so let's treat each other as a community should and, you know, do what we can to support one another. So, Lily, you know from listening to our show before, we like to end with some takeaways. So curious, first of all, if there's anything we didn't touch on today that you want to talk about and then second if you have one takeaway piece of advice or an action step that the listeners can follow to make communication during this time better yeah so I think we touched on everything I think the biggest takeaway is just to be kind practice kindness you know be nice to one another call each other you know continue living your life and and being a part of the community just you know do it from your house and six feet away from each other. (laughs) My takeaway based on all this is reach out to a healthcare provider in a non-invasive way. So don't call them up in the middle of their workday, but we all probably know someone who is in that industry in some form. And so just send a quick text message or phone call if you have the time and if they have the time or an email or something just to say thank you because we appreciate everything that you all are doing for us. And I know a lot of healthcare workers that aren't directly working with COVID-19 have lost their jobs or temporarily aren't able to work because it's not related to the virus and because those other services are being suspended. So even they need some love too. So reach out. That's my homework is reach out to a healthcare provider and say, thank you for your service. Nice. I like that one. Um, I hope I did that to you, Lily. I hope I reached out. <laughs> it yeah, made you feel no, good. It, it does. It makes me feel good. You know, I had a friend who I went to high school with, and she, we don't really talk very often. I, it, I don't remember the last time we talked, um, but she reached out to me on Instagram and she was like, hey, I hope you're doing well. I know you work in healthcare. I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing for our community. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And I said, you know, honestly, that, that's what you can do. You can just be nice. And say thank you. 
you know, live by, live by the golden rule, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. So see Trisha's takeaway already in effect and seeing it already works. (laughs) Success. All right. So my takeaway would be to, um, work on your perspective taking skills. And if you are going to have an appointment or even if you're going to talk to anybody, like put yourself in their shoes for a second and maybe write down one thing they might be thinking in that moment and then go forward with your interaction with them with that in mind. So if I were to call Lily, I'm not going to call, I would write down maybe like, she's probably super stressed because she's in the healthcare industry and probably like really needs a break right now. So before I call her, I'm not going to just spurt out all of my problems to her because, hey, mine are probably a little bit less in the, um, what's it called? level of things right now. (laughs) So write down something that someone else might be thinking before you interact with them. So your interactions can be fruitful and positive. I love it. If anyone has a question for Lily or a note that they want to pass along, feel free to email us at lostartofcommunication at gmail.com and we will relay the message. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lily. We appreciate you coming on and spending your time with us because we know you have a lot of other stuff going on. Thanks for having me. You guys stay well. Wash your hands. Yes, wash your hands. That's the last takeaway. (laughs) Stay home. Don't go to the doctor unless it's absolutely necessary. And we'll see you next time. All right.